welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 52, Germans Fighting a Civil War for the Roman Empire. So, before we begin, I just want to remind you that we have new shirts and new design out on the store, so go check it out. Please go buy one for family member, for yourself, whoever. The money that goes towards those shirts will go back towards the podcast and help pay for new books that I'm starting to collect for the next phase of our podcast when we're dealing with the post-Roman period, and it will help pay for odds and ends that the show desperately needs. For instance, we will have our website dues coming up again in October, and that's not that cheap to maintain, so every dollar that we can get for the show really helps us out. Also, if you'd like to be on the show, or if there's an expert in the field that you'd love to come onto the show, feel free to reach out to me at Podcast on Germany at gmail.com. Let me know about you know why you would want to be on the show, why you want this expert on the show, and give me a little bit of background about them or yourself, and we can talk about it. I'm always looking to do more interviews. In fact, we have one that we're possibly lining up uh, in the next week or two, so we'll have to see. Okay, so last we talked, Rome just defeated two major Gothic invasions, one from the east and one from across the border. These invasions were massive threats to Italy itself, even forcing Rome to rebuild their walls. Stilethico had to gather troops from virtually every corner of the Western Empire in order to beat these Gothic invasions down. But he only really beat down one of them into complete subordination, that was the second one, under Radagasius. The first one, under Alaric, well, he allowed Alaric and his men to survive. And they were now sitting in Illyricum, serving as Stilethico's allies. Ragasius, well, he was executed, and the rest of his army was absorbed into the Roman army, some 10,000. Now, at this point, it is safe to say Stilethico is at the height of his power. But this high point was built on an extremely rocky foundation that's going to serve as his downfall, as it is for so many others. The Roman people just were not happy with Stilethico, even though he had successfully saved them from two invasions. See, part of the problem was is that they could argue that he kind of allowed these two invasions to happen because he failed to protect the borders, as was part of his job. There's also the slight sore point for the Romans in the fact that most of these Gothic warriors weren't being punished at all. I mean, they were either being hired by the Romans straight into their army, and the Roman taxpayer was going to have to pay them, after just being on the brunt end of their raiding and destruction, or they were sitting on the border once more, biding their time, in the Roman citizens' eyes, for another attack, when Stilethico would be completely preoccupied with something else. This is not punishment. They should be dead. Their heads should be on pikes, scattered throughout the Rhineland, the show, those barbarians that you can't mess with Rome, not hired and paid and pampered. So Stilethico's not getting the support of the people anymore because he's kind of showing a lot of leniency to these barbarians. It also doesn't help that he is technically half barbarian because of his father. And so the Roman people are kind of putting those two together and think it's a grand conspiracy between him and the barbarians to slowly take the power from the Roman people and put it in their own to create not a Roman Empire, but a barbarian empire. Well, I mean, to be fair, 
You can't really blame them that much. Their homes have been destroyed. Their fields have been burned to the ground. Their family members have been killed. And now, you know, they are literally having to pay all of their tax money towards these. At least half of their tax money is actually going to pay towards these mercenary forces. And it's not just these 10,000 that he has in his army and Alaric's troops on the border. He has a large mercenary army that he had to deal with these invasions from the Huns and from other Germanic tribe. There's not a huge portion of the Roman army that isn't barbarian in one way or the other. He only has a few legions that would be technically considered Roman, even then, barely. Now, to be fair to Stilethko, he was just really working with what he had. He didn't have a conspiracy that relied on mercenaries to get him where he wanted. He did have conspiracies. He was really trying to unite the two empires under his control. We know that. But he wasn't going to try to use the barbarians to establish complete control in the West. That's just not his style. Or it wasn't his plan, at least. But he had to work with what he had. I mean, he had two invasions to deal with, and the Romans weren't giving him troops. Most of the manpower in Gaul and in Italy were tied up protected from Roman conscription because the higher-ups, the rich, didn't want to lose their manpower to the army. And so less and less people are available to serve in the Roman army. You need a standing army. And hey, guess what? The Huns have some troops they're willing to offer us. There's some Germanic tribes who are really good warriors that are willing to work for us. Yeah, we're going to take them because we need them. And now that they're here, now that they've served their purpose, well, it's not like I can just send them back across the border and no, they'll stay. No, they're inside the territory. So I either have to use them or pay them, which is really expensive, what I owe, and give them some territory. Not not good choices for him. So Lethko was in a bind. No natural manpower he could easily pull from any of these mercenaries that were needing to be used or else be paid and so he decided to use them because honestly it's the cheaper of the two options but before we actually get to that we need to talk about a couple of the other issues with the foundation of his power see so let's go had already made several mistakes of his own first yeah he hired mercenaries covered that but he also dissed the regular army in several ways, not just by hiring mercenaries. A lot of the higher-ups realized there was just no way around that. They were going to have to hire mercenaries. But a lot of times, Stilethka would give advantages or extra money or resources towards the mercenaries and not the Roman army itself. And that really, really didn't make a lot of the higher-ups that happy with him. He then, of course, allowed Alaric to survive and settle on Western Empire lands, even though that he had done a ton of damage in Italy where a lot of the higher-ups in the army had their home, where their income was coming from. In their eyes, Stilithka should have just killed Alaric and dis dissipated this tribe. The final stick in the eye to the regular army was that he was relying on Huns for bodyguards, which to the Romans was like spitting in their face, because the Romans thought that was their honor. That was their duty as citizens to provide bodyguards for their most important general, and he was dissing them. Though, let's be fair, if you know anything about Roman history, Roman bodyguards have never been rated among the most loyal, as many in their, pa in their time had eliminated their lords, their people they're supposed to be protecting, because it would be better for them, or because they got paid the right amount of money. Roman bodyguards were nothing, nothing special 
Bowman bodyguards were nothing to really want or desire. I would have probably gone with the Huns myself, too, because at least, you know, they have to rely on you in order to survive in this weird and hostile world. Now, his issues weren't just with the military. With the government itself, with the Senate, he was also causing a lot of problems. So let's go with a huge source of tension between the East and the West. I mean, he tried to establish himself as regent for both, and in the East's eyes had tried to invade and support Alaric during their wars. But on top of that, he started to look towards getting lands for his mercenaries, which the Senate just wasn't wanting to happen, which is kind of why Silithico is going to have to go the other route. So the Senate is also not a friend of Silithico. They're letting him do his thing now because they honestly don't have any power. But they'll try to work their way back. They will try to find ways to hurt Stilithico and weaken his control. His final enemy isn't an enemy yet per se. He's got to get some more backbone. But it's the Emperor, Honorus. Honorus, for the longest time, has just been, you know, doing what, what's been needed. I mean, he was young. He doesn't have much experience. He knows the strong connection between Stilithico and his father. He knows what his father wanted him to do with Stilithico. So he's been following Stilithico for the most part. But now that he's getting older and he's kind of seeing the issues that Stilithico is having with the army and the Senate, he's going to start trying to assert himself. And he's going to be looking for ways to dethrone Stilithico. So despite these issues, Stilithico is riding high in 406. He's got a large standing army at his beck and his call, and it can enforce his will throughout the entire peninsula or enact his plans to reunite the empire. Now, enforcing his will on the peninsula, that's nice. That's cool for him. Problem is, that takes a lot of money. There's not a lot of places he could get that money right now. Almost the money's tied up. Not a really good idea right now. Maybe later, when he's a little bit more settled and he's got income coming from somewhere else. His other plan, however, to reunite the Empire, well, that's a possibility. And while he's thinking about these two things and realizing that he's going to have to use this mercenary army pretty soon, well, he hears in 407 that the Emperor of the East's wife has passed away. This woman was the daughter of Stilithgo and had tied the two empires together, albeit rather tenuously. This, along with the death of Pope Innocent I, suddenly gave Stilithgo the cause he needed to attack the East. And attacking the East could give him Illyricum. Now, his planned attack was not just because he wanted the East under his control. I mean, you'd love to have that. It's a major motivation for him, but that was really also just a pipe dream. Attacking the East could lead to a full-blown war. That would force the West to conquer the entire eastern half of the Empire, which just was not going to happen. The East, while it was under attack, still had a lot more manpower and wealth to throw around than the West did. The West only really had Rome to use as a counterweight. But if they attacked and they did well in a minor war, they could assert Stilithico as regent. And, you know, that would be okay. Don't have to conquer the entire empire again, but you can assert that, hey, Stilithico, he still gets a say in the East. No, you still gotta, still gotta help him out. You just still gotta follow his words. If that wasn't going to happen, if they still won the minor campaign, but the East says, no way, we're gonna follow you, well, you know, Stilithico would be fine with that. He would just take the eastern half of Illyricum, the area that Alaric and his people had been settled in before they decided to go and join the Western Empire, albeit by 
raiding and pillaging the Western Empire, but still joining them. See, Illyricum was a weak point in the Roman defenses, and the West really knew it. They had felt it when Alaric invaded and waltzed right into Italy without an issue. This wasn't because the West was stretched. I mean, yes, they were, but it's because Illyricum, which was the Eastern's problem, it was supposed to be their territory to defend, wasn't doing their job. East had not been guarding it. They weren't even really doing a good job of guarding the Danube. So policing their territory? No. Yeah, that's not happening. And if there's another breakthrough, well, those barbarians could go right into Illyricum and then turn northwest and go back right into Italy again. What's to stop them? I mean, this is why Alaric was put back into the northern half of Illyricum, because Silethico feared that another assault would come from that direction. But if the west controlled it, well, then they could maintain the defenses. They could police the area, make sure that no other attacks break into Italy again. There's another important reason why Illyricum was so important to Stilithico. Because Illyricum, well, it would provide some nice tax revenue, some money, that Stilithico really, really needed right now for his large mercenary army. It would also provide him an untapped source of manpower, because the western half of the empire is either being protected by the Senate or has already been tapped. Taking new territory from the east, especially an area that has a decent population, well, there's no way the Senate can protect those territories because no one who lives in that territory is part of the Western Empire right now. So if you take it immediately and then pull as many men as you can out, well, then there you go. You got your army. And then he can get rid of the mercenaries not have to worry about so much overhead. All these things were boiling over in Stilithica's mind when he receives word that the East is being attacked by the Huns, who have breached the Danube and are ravaging Thrace, making their first large push into the European side of the Roman Empire. The East, if it was going to fight, was going to fight the Huns. They would not be able to deal with the West at all. This is the moment that Stilithico needs. This is the time to act. There's also the issue that if they decide not to act, if they go, you know what, the East is busy right now, we don't want to mess with them, they need as much help as they can get. Well, if the Huns win, which it's looking like they will, what's to stop them from turning towards Illyricum and then going up into Italy again? It can't happen. We have to set our foot down now and protect our territory. So hearing about the attacks happening in the East, Silithico goes, all right, let's do it. Let's attack. And so he starts planning out loud and in the open, an attack on the east, starting a full-blown civil war. Now, word spreads rather quickly throughout Rome what Stilithico is planning. It's kind of hard to keep it quiet when you're having to plan an actual campaign. And the Roman people don't really like it. I mean, first they've seen him let the barbarians go with barely any trouble. And now he's using these same barbarians to attack their brethren in the east. They're killing fellow Romans instead of dealing with you know, the huge threats to the north. Clearly, Silithico is working with the barbarians. He wants to set up this barbarian empire. Don't like this, guys. And Honorus kind of hears this, but he's not going to act on it yet. But he's starting to think, too, like, this is not it's not too good. Maybe they're right about Silithico. He's also got other voices whispering in his ear, trying to usurp Silithico as his new regent, basically. What made this worse for the Roman people was that the navy, of course, is going to be involved, but Silithico's plan required the invasion not to start with Roman troops, 
but with barbarians, something that the Italian people know devastate Illyricum, kill their fellow Romans. Well, now they're going to be doing it to the east. Stilethco required, with Honorus's blessing, that Alaric invade Illyricum first. Alaric, who's sitting right on the border right now, was to push into Illyricum, scatter the, the weakened eastern defenses, and secure a port. Once that port was secured, Stilithco was going to sail his army across the sea and land in Illyricum, establish himself a nice little port that will allow supplies to get through without having to deal with the passes to the north. Now, this is a strategically sound move. Yes, his forces are divided, but they're going to reunite rather quickly, and it forces the Eastern Empire to defend the entire coastline, not knowing where this Western army is going to land. And they really can't defend the entire coastline anyway, because, you know, they're dealing with the Huns. But it makes the people really upset, because it's not even the Romans who are going to start this off. They're sitting in barbarians to attack their own people. This is not good. Now, the East had heard about what was going on. There was no way they weren't going to hear about it. Word was spreading like wildfire what Silithico was doing, but they literally could not do anything. They tried to appease the West, said, hey, look, let's not do this. Let's talk. Can you help us with the Huns instead? You send your troops to help us. But Stilethko said, no, this is our time. This is when we go. Alaric, at this point, had been able to rebuild his army. He had gained more power among his fellow citizens as the go-between between the Goths and the Western Empire. He's not at his height, but he's pretty much there under Roman thumb. When he receives the orders from Stilethko, he's quite happy to do it, as it meant that the Goths were going to get a lot of loot and they're going to have the backing of the Roman Empire to do it. Alaric would not be a problem for Stilethico this campaign. In fact, he will be his most enthusiastic supporter, which will also cause a lot of issues back at Rome, because they're seeing Alaric going gun-ho for this invasion, and they're going, dude, you, ah, this is a barbarian conspiracy. It's got to be. There's no way these two aren't working together to bring us down. So issues start to rise in Rome right before the campaign comes off. Because Stilithico decides at the last minute he needs to raise more troops. He wants to make sure that there are enough men guarding Italy and those that can go back to support the Rhine that he doesn't have to strip his own army to do so. And the people absolutely refuse. In fact, it gets pretty dicey there for a second before Honor steps in and goes, Okay, so sorry everyone. Look. Anyone who's risen to the rank of military tribune doesn't have to supply any military recruits for this war effort, which cuts off a lot of manpower for Stilithko. And so Stilithko has to decide, is he going to weaken his invading army to go resupply and help defend the Rhine and the Alps against an invasion from the north and risk losing the war against the east? Or is he just going to try to quickly bull rush the east and hope nothing happens in the West. And as he's thinking about it, early 407, he goes, you know what? We're going we're gonna to do this quickly. The East is busy with the Huns. Their troops aren't even really defending Illyricum. This should be quick. This should be fine. We've received no word of any problems coming from the Rhine or from the Alps. So the barbarians are clearly leaving us alone up there. They shouldn't do anything if they're not doing anything by now. So we should be good to go. Let's go. And so, so let's go makes the mistake, yes, I'm saying mistake, of deciding not to reinforce the border with his troops, but going full hog into Eastern Europe. We'll talk about why this was a mistake in a little bit. Okay, so Alaric and his rebuilt army launches an attack on the east, 
They scatter the eastern garrisons in their way, and then they sit, waiting for Stilithico, who was supposed to arrive any day, in the ports that Alaric had captured. And this campaign has started off amazingly. No hitches whatsoever. The east has scattered. The ports are captured. We've secured the landing zones. Come on over. Meanwhile, Stilithico, who's sitting, waiting for a word, suddenly receives letters that say, oh, by the way, um, Alec's army was defeated as soon as they tried to cross onto the border. Alaric is dead. Uh, a good portion of his troops are dead. The eastern army is rather powerful, about two times the size we are. They are waiting armed to the teeth at every single port that we were planning to land on. Now you're probably going, wait, what? How, where is he getting these letters? I mean, Alaric is clearly doing great. He's conquered the ports. He's sending letters saying, we're doing great, we're doing great. Well, the problem was that his letters weren't actually getting to Stilithico. Seriously, his letters were being intercepted. Enemies of Stilithico were grabbing Alaric's letters before they could get to him and sending him different letters, one showing complete disaster for the Romans. Th this is no joke. While Alaric is celebrating his victory, waiting for Stilithico to come so they can finish their plan, Stilithico is crying in his tent thinking everything has fallen apart because he thinks Alaric's dead and the East is waiting to destroy his army if he tries to leave Italy. This sabotage was because his enemies didn't want the army to invade the East. They thought it was a bad idea. They thought that attacking their own neighbors, their own friends, was a step in the wrong direction. They needed to deal with the barbarians to the north and clear the ranks of the barbarians that were part of their mercenary forces. Now, I'm sure part of their hopes was that by leaving Alaric cut off in Alaricum, Beast would be able to destroy Alaric's army before Stilithico could get wise to the operation. But the other hope was that just by making Stilithico think everything went bad, well, maybe that would be the it for him. He, he would have had a major political fallout because of this. And indeed, it does look like that's what's going to happen. Because as Stilithico is reeling from the news of this defeat, he receives a letter from Honorus, who, thanks to the voices whispering in his ears, has heard about the crushing defeat for Alaric, the death of this barbarian, and the destruction of the forward units of the Roman army. And he says, hey, Stilithico, dude, look, your plan to invade the Eastern Empire, I do not support this. This was a bad idea. I can't believe you would do this without consulting me. Ah, bad, 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 bad. Realize, you know, when the public finds out about this, this is on you. Yeah, the emperor literally passes the buck to Stilithico and says, oh, no, this is you. This is on you. I, I had nothing to do with that. I didn't even know you were planning to attack this. Huh. And so Stilithico realizes, well, I've just lost control of the emperor, who used to be my yes boy, but now, now either has a mind of his own or clearly has someone else that he's working for. And as both of these things are happening at the same time, he's got the letter of Alaric's death in one hand, and in the other hand, he's got Honorus telling him that he's on his own. He no longer has the support of the emperor. Well, trouble always comes in threes. He gets more news. I'm not saying this all happens at once, but come on. Be a little bit artistic with me. He gets more news. First, you know, Britain's in revolt. He kind of knew this was probably happening, but Britain's in revolt. Great. Could have used some troops over there, but it's okay. Oh, also, um, more bad news from the West. Turns out that December 31st, 406, you know, a couple of months before this invasion started, there was an invasion. Yeah, Vandals, Alans, Swaves. They all just crossed into Gaul and, well, 
killed a bunch of people and are now spreading throughout the entire territory. Oh, and that rebellion in Britain? Yeah, it turns out that it went really well for the rebels, and now they're invading Gaul, um, and they're getting a lot of support over there because, again, the barbarians are destroying everything in Gaul and we're not doing anything about it. Yeah, all of this happens around the same time for Stilithico. Alaric's dead. Honor's is no longer supporting him. And the West has just gone crumbling down. Not a good time to be Stilithico. So, let's talk about this. The British Revolt, 406. You want to learn about that? That's great. It's not dealing with us and the Germans right now. Go go listen to that or read about that on another podcast. However, the invasion, December 31st, 406, that does have to deal with us. So we are going to be talking about that. So I've mentioned three groups. we got the Vandals, the Allens, and the Sways, which were technically two different groups. Really, I just call them the Sways because even the groups they put them into are just wide-ranging amount of tribes. Because even the two that they separate them into are still large collections of other tribes. The Vandals, the Allens, the Sways, they are not a tribe that has been there forever. These are new tribes that are forming up due to the destruction the Huns are bringing with them. It's actually a rather interesting thing that we can look at in order to see how the devastation could have been for North and South America when the Europeans started alive. It's actually an interesting way for us to look at what happens in North and South America when the Europeans start to arrive and devastate everything for North America and South America. The disease, with the war, with the conquest. The German tribes are sort of having the same thing, except it's the Huns doing it to them all at once. And so these tribes are breaking down. They're forming into larger tribes, into kingdoms. We've talked all about that, but just as a refresher. So the Vandals, the Allens, the Sways, they are all just a collection of tribes under strong, powerful king. The size of this invasion force is unknown. Though many of the Empire believed that it was the end of the world, with this horde bent on the destruction of the Empire, it was part of the conspiracy by Stilithico to overthrow the Roman Empire. You see, he had the army in Italy to attack the East, and while the Roman legions were stuck over there, well, the German barbarians would cross the Rhine and destroy Gaul. I mean, it's crazy, but my goodness, does it work out well for this conspiracy theory. And while it was large... It still was probably no more than forty to 50,000 men. And it was also not just men. It would be women and children because these are roaming tribes. These are roaming people, not a army bent on destruction. The invasions moved quickly, either overwhelming the weaker defenses, or as some historians like to argue, they crossed the frozen river. If they did, wow, that is really lucky and <laughs> awesome for them. I, I don't know. We weren't there. We don't have any proof. Good for them if they did it. But they overwhelmed the Gallic defense forces. Now, they didn't start off with just attacking the Gauls. They actually were attacking other German tribes. And this kind of breaks down the whole conspiracy of a barbarian empire. See, the invasion actually had to go through the Franks, the Burgundians, and a couple of other tribes lining the Rhine River. These tribes were protected by the Romans, or were supposed to be protected by the Romans, and they served as the eyes and the ears for the Romans across the Rhine. When these invasions started, well, the Franks and the Burgundians, they sort of gathered up their troops and they fought it out with these invading forces, sending word back to Gaul saying, hey, get your army up here, we need some help. Well, the Gallic forces never arrived, and the Frankish forces almost won in their battle. You see, the Franks were fighting the Vandals, the Ascending Vandals. Again, 
we're not going to worry about trying to keep them separated because there was no unifying force of the Ascendine Vandals versus the other Vandals and so forth. It was just, hey, they're called Vandals, we're going to call them Vandals. Anyway, while they're fighting the Vandals, they kill their king, Godgisco. And we're starting to spread the Vandals out. I mean, scatter them to the four winds. We're going to wipe them out as a threat. But they were eventually pushed back as reinforcements arrived and scattered the Franks themselves, crushing their military power for a while. And now a new leader, Gunderic, will lead these Vandals for the next 22 years and do rather well with them. And so the Franks were out. Now, some people like to argue that they were in a struggle with the Vandals on their own. They weren't hired by the Romans, but Considering their location, considering their previous relationship with the Gauls, it's pretty clear that they were hired to me. It was just part of their duties. And so the Franks were defeated. And for a little while, this is November, December, that looked like that might be it. It was just a civil war over some territory, over some rights to be right next to the Rhine. That's fine. Let the Germans fight it out. Who cares? Send word back to Silithica. We're doing great. Yeah, there was some fighting over there, but man, it's never going to come over here. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. They invade. The conspiracy, of course, grows. That Stilithico is causing this. He's bringing all these barbarians in at Rome's weakest moment. Now, that's cool and everything. But, you know, we already had the fighting across the river between German tribes. And now we're watching as this so-called unified barbarian invasion breaks down completely. We have three leaders. We got, uh, who you... Gunderic, who is taking over from Goddess Gisel. We have Gore. Love that name, Gore. And then we have uh, Respendil. All three of these major leaders, and they all do their own things as soon as they cross the river. There is no communication. There is no uh, acts working together when they're crossing. They do their own thing. That's that. For instance, Gore, the Alans. Well, as soon as he crosses the river, he tells the Gauls and the Roman authorities, hey, hire me. I'll Turn on these other tribes, we'll beat them back across the river. You find me a place to stay, we're good to go, we're golden. And he turns and he starts attacking other groups of German tribes that were crossing the river. Now, this would force those German tribes to work together and have Gundrick and Respendil actually form an alliance, but it wasn't part of the original plan if there ever was a plan. These invasions were to do what Gore just did, what Alec had successfully done. You get across the river, you do some damage, minor damage, you know, don't do don't do anything too bad. Talk to the locals, have them hire you, you're good to go, sit back and relax. Doesn't really work that way, because the Romans and the Gauls say no, other than apparently to Gore, because he starts attacking the enemies. He goes, the Gauls go, no, we'll just wait in our city. So let's go send us reinforcements. No problem, we'll wait you out. And so the barbarians have to go from doing some minor raiding to, all right, well, lay siege to everything. Take every city. If they're not going to give us the land, we'll have to take the land ourselves. And so that's what they do. Gaul is open to them. Gore is forced to retreat. He either is routed and surrenders, or he flees to the south and waits for the Romans to accept him, and when they don't, then he switches sides again. But all of northern Gaul is left open to a now unified barbarian army. Unified because, well, they were forced to. They didn't have a choice. Their own people were going to attack them. When I say own people, I mean another barbarian force was going to attack them. They weren't unified when they first tried this attack. And while this is all happening, you know, northern and eastern Gaul is in flame. Well, over in Britain, a man named Constantine, who's declared himself the new emperor, comes across the channel and goes, hey guys, Gaul, listen to me. Um, Rome's not here. 
Rommel's not doing anything for you. Join me. I have an army with me. We'll beat back these barbarians. We'll secure you. And so he lands. Some of the local towns start to support him. And Slothico gets the news. Literally, he gets all this news at once. Now, the news he receives is rather mixed and confused. It seems like what he got was a jumbled timeline. Like, he hears about the near defeat of the raiders. But he's not sure if that happened before they crossed into Rome. Or if, you know, that happened in Roman territory. He hears about the raids. But then, he, you know, he hears about Gore doing his thing and switching sides. Well, that's good news. That's another weakened spot for the barbarians. So, he goes, all right, you know what? Even though it looks bad, it's not going to be that bad. They've been beaten once by the Franks, almost beaten at least. We have one of the tribes already switched sides to our side. I'm going to send a couple reinforcements, and I'm going to try to figure out this whole thing with the east. And so, that's what he does. Problem is, he makes a mistake, as he sends his Vandal mercenaries to go and assist Gaul, rather than sending Roman legions or his entire army. Now, I know what you're thinking. He sent a German tribe related to ones invading Gaul to deal with the threat? Is he crazy? Is he really part of this conspiracy, maybe? No, he's not crazy. Uh, First of all, he probably didn't realize that, you know, Vandal tribe going in, dealing with fellow Vandal tribes. Probably didn't realize what it was going to be or that it was going to be a problem. Second, he couldn't really afford to send away his units from the front line. He had just started a civil war with the East. Pulling his army away now would look really bad and could ruin his chances of making peace with the East, which is what he's trying to do right now. He's trying to go, hey, so sorry about Alaric. I don't know what that dude was thinking. He's crazy. Let's let's talk it out. Let's just have peace. So he's trying to do that with the East. He can't afford to pull his army away because the East might go, no, we're, going, we're at war, bro. But sending the Vandals was a big mistake. Even if he didn't realize that another group of Vandals was part of the invasion force. Because he knows what has happened in the past, especially in the East. German mercenaries are sent in to deal with German barbarians. The Roman people living in the war zone can't recognize friend from foe or refuse to recognize friend from foe. And they turn the friendly German mercenaries into enemies because they refuse to feed them and supply them. Or they attack them. This has happened in the past. We saw it with the Goths. But Stilithico sends vandals anyway. He's like, they can get the job done. And you know what? Guess what happened? He sends them in. They arrive. They're like, hey, Gaul, we're here to save you. We're here to protect you. And the Gauls go, ha, nice. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no way you're from Rome. We're waiting for the legions. We're waiting for actual Romans to come protect us. You're clearly just some barbarians who are trying to trick us and get in our cities. You're not coming in. And so these vandals with no supplies, because they were told that they'd get the supplies in Gaul, are stuck outside the cities that they're supposed to be protecting. And they're like, well, okay, now what? Well, they can't sit there forever. They can't go back to Selethico. I mean, it'd take them too long through what is now hostile territory. So the Vandals say, all right, screw it. Take what you can from the local farms, then we're going north. And they do what German mercenaries have had to do in the past. They raid the local land side because the Romans won't give them the supplies they need. And then they flee to the German barbarians because if they get caught by the Romans, the Romans are going to say, well, you turned on us. You stole food from us. We should kill you. So the Vandals have no choice. Their only way to survive is to switch sides and hope for the best. And so the barbarian forces suddenly receive reinforcements from Selethico, which feeds the conspiracy that Selethico is planning. 
a barbarian empire. The invasion continues. Constantine is building up his forces in Britain and in Gaul, building up support. While this is happening, other tribes start to take part in this invasion. They hear, hey, Gaul's open. The Romans aren't even defending it. In fact, they're sending us reinforcements. Go in. And so Saxons start to attack. They start attacking all up and down the coast, even attacking Britain for a while. And slowly, cities actually start to fall because they're not getting reinforcements. They haven't prepared for a siege. And so one by one by one, cities throughout Gaul collapse. They're sacked or they're burned to the ground. And the German barbarians move on to the next one. Sending out fillers saying, hey, hire us. Hire us. Give us territory. Give us a home. We'll fight for you. Look what we can do. See all the damage we can do to your cities? Hire us. We'll do that to your enemies. Gauls aren't hiring them. They don't have the money right now or the uh, political leadership to do so. Stilithico is not hiring them. He can't afford to. Maybe Constantine. But Constantine also doesn't have the money right now. And he's trying to build the political support. Just have to see. Constantine eventually gets his army together. And sometime in that summer, he invades Gaul, scattering the barbarian horde in front of him. And he does do so rather successful. He pushes them out of the way, shoves them away from certain cities. Uh, the last one we know they took would be Arturantum. So sorry about the pronunciation. Before they would be pushed away by Constantine, who scatters the barbarians out of his way. But he doesn't hunt them down. He doesn't give chase. Yes, he frees the Gaul cities, makes sure that they back him up. But he heads south. He heads to southern Gaul because that's where the mints are. And he gathers the ones that he can so he can start producing his own money. This would allow him to pay his own army, which he needs to do. It would allow him to show that he is an emperor. I mean, the emperor is the one who produces money who ha whose images are on the coin. So if his image is on a coin, then he's got to be the emperor, right? And it allows him to pay these German invaders to be his mercenaries. The whole reason why they're invading. He can give them the money. So he pushes the Germans out of the way, but he quickly runs south. He grabs these mints, and he starts producing money like crazy. He uses the money sort of as, as peace fillers to try and say, hey, look, we both can be emperor honorous. We can work together. We can rebuild the empire. And the coins, and of course, the fact that he's sort of scattered the Germans out of his way and took control of the Rhine, meant that the uh, German mercenaries were quite happy. They're like, yeah, sure, we'll fight for you. They didn't even put up any fight when Constantine asked them, like, heck yes. Whatever you want, dude, just pay us. We're on your side. And so these German mercenaries, you know, part of Stilithico's secret plans to build a barbarian empire, well, now they're working for the other side. They're working for the Roman rebels. Perfect. Constantine really needed these mercenaries. First of all, eliminating them as a threat to Gaul would make Gaul happy and gain him more war support. Awesome. But it also would build his rather weak army. He had an army, yes, but it was based off the troops he had in Britain. That's not enough to deal with the army that Silithico has in Italy. He needs more men. And so by hiring these mercenaries, he can fill out his rank. And while he's doing this, he receives word that Spain's on his side too. And now it's Britain, Gaul, and Spain versus, well, Italy and North Africa. It doesn't look great for Rome right now. Before we go on, I gotta say that this invasion of Gaul, <laughs> it was just overwhelming. This had never happened before in the history of Rome, and losing control of the majority of the Roman Empire to an invasion in one season is surprising. And when I say invasion, I mean from the rebels and from the barbarians. But this invasion, the problems that come from this, the success of the invasion and the rebellion speaks to the problems that were plaguing the Romans, and the reason why this movement of people 
would eventually lead to the collapse of the empire in the West. These invasions in the past never had worked. I mean, yeah, there'd be a couple raids, there'd be a couple of successes like that, but not to the point where the Romans literally lost three huge portions of their empire. Stilithico still had plenty of troops. He should have been able to repel this invasion and kept Constantine in Britain rather than allow him to establish domination in the West. But Stilithico failed to properly back up a very fragmented and weakened defense force in Gaul and relied on German mercenaries when what was really needed was Romans. Not because the German mercenaries were bad or were going to turn on the Romans, but because, frankly, the Romans were never going to trust their own mercenaries to do the job. And so the mercenaries were going to fail due to Roman basic racism. But that's on Stilithka. That's less on the Roman people themselves. Yes, they could have been more open and welcome society to what they considered barbarians, but Stilithka should have realized what he was working with and planned accordingly. As the disaster was spreading in Gaul, Stilithka was dealing with the political outfall from the emperor outmaneuvering him and placing the responsibility for a civil war at his feet. It also meant that Stilithka no longer had the dominating role in the empire. His position which had relied on the power left to him by the previous emperor, was slipping. His enemies could take over soon if it continued, and it looked like it was going to continue. This was exacerbated quite badly by the news of Valak's defeat and the news of Constantine in Gaul. But Stilithka still moved rather slowly at this point, either due to the miscommunications caused by his enemies or by the, point, by the fact that he was still trying to deal with the outfall with the east and trying to make sure that they didn't come back for revenge. By the time he started to turn towards dealing with the rebellion in the West, the campaign season was almost over, and it had been a terrible one for the Western Empire. No joke. But while he's meeting with the Emperor, while he's trying to figure out what to do to reinforce his position and to plan the next campaign, he receives word that um, Alex's not dead. In fact, Alaric's probably a little bit mad at this point. He's been cursing up a storm, waiting for Stilithica to get here. Finally, he just, one of his letters gets back and says, Dude, what's going on? Waiting for you. Get over here. Stilithica realizes, oops, what a wasted opportunity. Well, to be sure, there wasn't much of an opportunity, considering the fact that even if Stilithica had gone into Illyricum, the problems in Gaul would have happened. And so this is where we're going to leave it. On one side, we have Constantine conquering Gaul, has support in Spain, has Britain backing him up and supporting him, and now with a large and powerful German mercenary army at his side. In the center, we have Stilithico with a half-Roman, half-mercenary army made up of a lot of German tribesmen trying to figure out what's going on and how to reassert his power. And finally, on the other side, we have Alaric, who's really, really, really upset with Stilithica right now and may, or may not, be planning his revenge. Alright, that will do it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed. Please let me know if you have any questions. Again, if you know anyone you would love to have on the show, please reach out to me with some information about them at podcastonjourney at gmail.com. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you in two weeks.